Welcome to First Baptist Church of Terrytown, sharing God's love and hope around the world. Our prayer is that your life is transformed as you hear the Word of God preached today. Well, you probably don't need an introduction for Rich Freeman, but I'm going to give you one anyways. I just want to give you a little trivia fact. Uh, the very first preacher we had after Pastor Tory had resigned and preached his last sermon, the very next Sunday, who do you suppose came and preached that sermon? Pastor Dr. Rich Freeman. Uh, we were so happy to have him. It was sort of like, okay, we still have friends. People, <laughs> we, still, we still have this connection. Uh, yes, we, we missed Tory and Sue so badly, but... We were so happy that we could have that week together with uh, Rich Freeman. Uh, Dr. Freeman and his wife, uh, Julia, have been in ministry for some 35 years, I believe it is. Uh, they, uh, back in the day, uh, he was pastor of Light of Israel Church and Dunwoody Baptist Church. This was back in the 80s, 90s. Right, And that's how we sort of had a connection with them at that time. And it was about 1999, he joined up with Chosen People Ministry. And he's presently serving as the, he has such a long title, I had to write it down, Vice President and Director of Church Ministries and Conferences for Chosen People Ministry. Uh, he speaks around the country and around the world, giving seminars on a variety of topics. Uh, and even though he travels around the world, he comes back to this small little church in Terrytown practically every year uh, to preach to us. It was a, just a few years back, he conducted a Seder uh, dinner for us and was able to give an explanation of the rich meaning of all the symbolic matters that go into a Seder, uh, something that we enjoyed so much. They have three children and seven grandchildren, and get this, Ages 2 to 23 are the grandchildren. So that's quite a span, uh, something, to very, uh, some, something that they're very, very proud of, have that family. They uh, are not serving in a foreign country technically, but uh, they come out of South Florida. So if you ever want to do a missions trip in the middle of winter, they have opened up their hearts and said, come on down. Boynton Beach, near West Palm Beach, is uh, where they're from. So we're excited to have you share the gospel and the message you have on your heart. Uh, come on up. Good morning. Um, in case I cough, I promise you I'm not contagious, but uh, I'm a little under the weather. And, and so uh, when I left Florida, it was uh, 86 degrees. I think it's less than that here. And so I um, wanted to share with you uh, from my heart, when Pastor Nathan uh, asked me for a sermon title, I didn't expect them to put it out in the street, but uh, it, it's important, I think, that we understand the, the need for shalom in these times. Amen? 
And so I um, wanted to sh- open up with a little story as we begin. Um, this story about New Year's Eve, and uh, how many of you have ever been to Times Square on New Year's Eve? Anybody? Just a few crazies, okay. <laughs> so Times Square on New Year's Eve is, is very, very special. You know, you get millions of people, you know, just crowded in to watch some make-believe ball fall down that, that begins the year. And so in this particular story, that's already happened. And there was this restaurant, little bar in a restaurant, following the ball dropping down, where people are celebrating and having a party and enjoying the, the new year. And so very noisy, you could barely hear yourself speak to one another. And all of a sudden, things get quiet you could hear a pin drop. And everybody's wondering why it got so quiet. But they're all staring at the front door of the restaurant because walking in was this Hasidic Jewish man, black hat, long black coat, and on his left shoulder was a parrot. And people are just staring at him. And he's slowly walking into the restaurant, walking up to the bar with the parrot on his left shoulder. And finally, as he walks up to the bar, the bartender points to the parrot and says, where'd you get that? And the parrot said, in Brooklyn, there's thousands of them there. So that has nothing to do with what I'm going to share with you this morning, but I like telling those stories. The Gallup organization did a survey of different people, mostly non-believers, And it was on New Year's Day, 2023. And the question was asked, what do you want for the coming year? And as they answered, kind of a New Year's resolution question, uh, the response to the survey in order of popularity was love, joy, and peace. Coincidentally, the first three fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And when asked to elaborate, the respondents said, well, As far as love goes, it had to do with relationship, finding a mate, learning to love your mate more, repairing a broken relationship, that kind of thing. Uh, Joy was finding happiness in life, kind of an ambiguous uh, response. But peace was more than world peace. It was not like a contestant in a Miss America pageant. It was also more than reconciliation and broken relationships. It was an inner peace, a sense of well-being and uh, of wholeness, completeness. And the Hebrew word for shalom encompasses all of those meanings, both an outward peace as well as an inward peace. And considering what's going on in the world today, I think it would be appropriate for us to look at that word shalom. Would you agree? So that's what I'd like to speak about this morning, speaking on the Hebrew word shalom. So let's begin with a word of prayer and ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father and our King, we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful blessing to be able to worship you this morning. Lord, as we look at what's going on in the world today, we're reminded that in spite of circumstances and situations that may not be to our liking, you are still on the throne, and we need to rest and trust in you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your great love for us. And we pray and give thanks for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
As a new Jewish believer in Jesus, I was absolutely fixated on the book of Isaiah. Uh, when someone first read Isaiah 53 to me, especially verse five, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our peace fell upon him and by his stripes we are healed. When they told me, I said, well, that's talking about Jesus. And they said, well, this was written seven centuries before the event took place. I became obsessed with the book of Isaiah as a brand new believer. And so I decided I would study the book of Isaiah in depth on my way to work in the morning. Now we lived in Cortland Manor and I would drive to the Croton Harmon station and take the express, which didn't stop in Tarrytown from Croton Harmon all the way to Grand Central. It's about a 48 minute ride. And during that time, with notebook and pen in hand, I began studying the book of Isaiah. One day in my studies, I came upon this particular verse and it really caught my attention. It was Isaiah 26 verse three. And I was studying it in multiple versions. This happened to be that particular morning in the King James Version. And it said this, thou will keep him in perfect peace he whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Now, perfect peace in the Hebrew is actually shalom, shalom. We might say it's a double dose of shalom. And while shalom is usually the way people greet one another in Israel, sometimes you actually hear them say to one another, shalom, shalom, offering this greeting of perfect peace to the people. Now Isaiah 26.3 says God will keep, not the individual, but God will keep that person who is steadfastly focused on God in shalom, shalom, because that person trusts in God. It really reminds me of the biblical narrative of Matthew 14, when Peter sees Jesus walking on the water. It's one of my favorite stories. And I go to Israel every year and we'll be on the Sea of Galilee and we'll be talking about this particular event where Peter sees Jesus walking on the water and the disciples are so afraid they think he's a ghost because it's in the middle of the night. And finally, Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, could I come out? And like the price is right, Jesus says to Peter, come on down. And he comes out of the boat and he starts walking on the water. Peter actually walked on the water. As long as his eyes were on Jesus, focused on Jesus, he was able to do that. And then he got splashed in the face. And suddenly he realized, I can't walk on water. And he began sinking and asked Jesus to save him. And Jesus did just that. But as long as he was focused on Jesus, he was able to walk on water. And once he took his eyes off Jesus, that's when he began to sink. And I think that's really the point of Isaiah 26.3, talking about trust. It implies confidence. It implies security. It's a concept that's associated with firmness, something that's solid or secure, something that's able to handle any weight, any pressure. And some of you, I'm sure with this many people in a room, are dealing with some difficult circumstances. Yet Jesus is able to hold on to them to carry them. And that's really what Isaiah is trying to say. Simply stated, we can put our confidence or security in the Lord because we know that he can be trusted. Even when circumstances might indicate otherwise, he can be trusted. So 
That's why Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. What a great verse. Now, there are two kinds of shalom spoken of in the New Testament. And I think when you take them together, you can understand what that shalom, shalom might be that Isaiah is speaking uh, of how it can be possible. Now, the first shalom has to do with a cessation of of hostilities, a cessation of hostilities. It's an outward kind of peace. You know, it's interesting, the world is screaming for a ceasefire, a cessation of hostilities in Gaza for humanitarian reasons, to protect the innocent. I saw the other day when we first got here that there was a demonstration in Ossining and the people demonstrating were grandmas for a ceasefire in Gaza. And so, you know, I understand some people genuinely want to see everything to to stop. Uh, In my local news in Florida, there was an assemblywoman who was passionately speaking about the need to stop the fighting now and protect the innocent Palestinian women and children caught in the war. I certainly recognize that there are non-combatant Palestinians who really are caught in the middle, and I hope and pray that there would be a minimal loss of life. But a cessation of hostilities in Gaza is really screaming for Israel to allow their innocents to be killed once again. They can't stop. If Hamas is allowed to continue with no consequences of their heinous actions, actions which actually seem to be approved of by the rest of the world. I can tell you one of the ministries that we have in Israel is to Holocaust survivors. We're talking about people who survived the Holocaust in Germany as young children, and they're now in their late 80s and early 90s. And we're trying to minister to them. And one particular uh, staff member, his name is Max, uh, just absolutely loves these people, takes them all over. They're they're like his little child, even though Max is in his 40s. And he found out that of the 10 people that were part of his little group, four of them were murdered and mutilated. And people just don't seem to recognize that. They don't seem to believe it. Israel needs to be able to defend itself from annihilation. That's their right. You know, you see the pro-Palestinian demonstrators, and I saw that there were more than 100 New York City high schools that demonstrated on Friday. And when they yell, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, these naive young people think that what they're crying out is for freedom for the Palestinians. And certainly I understand the the desire for that. But what they're doing is parroting Hamas's charter, calling for the destruction of Israel and all the Jews within Israel from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. It's a call for the murder of Jews. And I have to tell you, as a Jewish man, I never thought I'd see the, the day that we would have this kind of hostility, this kind of anti-Semitism in the world. Jewish university students in some of the most prestigious universities in our country fear for their lives. We Christians need to let them know that we're with them, we support them. We've got your back. I've been leading tours to Israel for more than 20 years, 
And one year on one of my tours, one of the group brought a T-shirt that says, don't worry, America, Israel has your back. Well, I hope the reverse stays true. I really do. So back to the message. Sorry for that, but you can see I'm a little wound up when it comes to this. This is a, a very, very serious issue. And we as Christians need to speak out. And for those of you who have Jewish people in your life, let them know that you're with them, that you support them, that you love them. Uh, because quite frankly, Jewish people are beginning to wonder. And I think it's important for us to do that. So back to the message. The first shalom is peace with God. Romans chapter five, verse one says, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Now to have peace with God requires two very important things to happen. The first one is an acknowledgement that hostilities actually do exist. Romans 8, 7 says, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not able even to do so. Instinctively, everything we do in the flesh is totally contrary to the things of God. It's just the way we're wired. Our default in life without the help of the Holy Spirit is to go in the opposite direction God wants us to do. We operate according to the end of the book of Judges, which says everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Sometimes we operate under the teaching of the great theologian Frank Sinatra, who said, I did it my way. That's how we operate. All the good things we do by our own strength, apart from God, the Bible has an interesting way to describe it. Isaiah 64, 6 says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Before a person can get right with God, this is really important, before a person can get right with God, they need to first recognize that they're not. Everybody understand what I'm saying? If you want to share the Lord with someone, you gotta first get them lost before you can get them saved. Because we all, in our natural flesh, think, well, I'm compared to other people, I think I'm pretty good. I have a sister who's wonderful, and she does a lot of good things, and she thinks those good things matter. Well, they do in a, in a, a human way of thinking, but she doesn't see herself as a sinner at all. And I think we have to recognize that we have to, number one, tell the world that we are all sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The only requirement God has is, is very simply defined, perfection. If you could be perfect, you have nothing to worry about. So if you can't be perfect, then you need some help, and that's really what this is about. What this is about is God sees us. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God sees us as perfect because of him. Not because of us, but because of him. So there needs to be an acknowledgement that hostilities exist. We need to recognize that apart from Jesus, we're all lost. And number two, an acceptance of the terms for peace, which in our humanity is reprehensible. Total surrender. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? Total surrender. You have no possibility of victory. You can't save yourself. Theologically, it's what's called total depravity. When uh, my dad was a teenager in the 1940s, 
Pearl Harbor happened. And he was only 14 years old, but he was determined to get into the Navy. Now, as you can see from my size, I come from a line of tall people. So even though my dad was 15, he was six feet two. So he found an, a naval recruiter who needed to meet his quota, and at the age of 15, my dad enlisted in the U.S. Navy and ran away from home. And soon found himself in the South Pacific. So try to imagine, try to imagine a 16, 17-year-old on an aircraft carrier, and my dad was a tail gunner in one of those planes, which was basically a suicide mission. Thankfully, he made it out. But at the end of the war, he found himself in the fleet that was outside of where the bombs were going to be dropped, dropped in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So he's on this big aircraft carrier when these two bombs are dropped, and he saw the flashes of light, and those huge aircraft carriers, the wake of the bomb dropping was so monumental that the ship actually was moved. And my dad was really within miles of the bomb being dropped. And so what the Japanese thought was that we had a whole arsenal of those bombs, even though those were the only two that we had. And so they assumed that they were in a no-win position, and the Japanese surrendered. Now, thankfully, we did not have to invade Japan, and My dad always told me that the reason I'm alive is because President Truman dropped the bomb and they were able to avoid invading Japan. If they would have invaded Japan, uh, there would have been millions lost on both sides. That's how bad it would have been. So the Japanese assumed that they, had a, they were in a no-win situation and surrendered. And in America's zeal to and the war, we were able to help rebuild Japan, and Japan is a, is a world economic power these days. So when you accept the terms, you don't surrender to a country, you surrender to a God who is perfect and gracious and offers salvation by grace through faith. We surrender recognizing that we can't save ourselves, but yet God will regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of where we come from, regardless of what we've done in our lives, is willing to forgive and is willing to allow us the joy of being one of his children. I don't know about you, but when I think about the fact that God allows me to be called a child of God, it blows me away. And yet that's what happens when you accept his terms of surrender. But that's only one shalom. The reality is you can have peace with God and not have the perfect peace that Isaiah speaks about. The second shalom is the peace of God. And this shalom is more of a state of being. It's, it's an inward thing. And writing from a prison cell, the Apostle Paul wrote this in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. He said, Rejoice in the Lord when circumstances are to your liking. Is that what he says? No. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Messiah Jesus. Notice what Paul says. He says, be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't worry about anything. Why? Well, I think the key is the end of of verse 5 in that passage where Paul writes, the Lord is near. The reason not to worry or be anxious is the close proximity of the Lord. The Lord is near. He's close by. He's right with us, right in our hearts. So don't worry. The Lord is near. Everything is going to be all right. But Paul, you don't know what's going on in my life right now. The Lord is near. You know, I'm reminded of what David said in Psalm 23, verse 4, when he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? I like it in the King James. For thou art with me. God is near. And no matter what's going on in our lives, when we have that relationship with the Lord, he's always there for us. We can't view God through the lens of our circumstance. That's, that tends to be how people do. You know, I prayed for the Lord for a job. I got a job. God is so good. I prayed to meet a mate. I got a mate. God is so good. How about I prayed to meet a mate and God gave me a homicidal mania. God is so good. No, you're not going to say that, right? But when things aren't what we want, can we still say God is so good? Because God is good all the time, isn't he? And yet, we have a tendency to view God through the lens of our circumstances instead of viewing our circumstances through the lens of our God. When Julia and I were in seminary in Dallas, I had a pretty lucrative business career working for a large corporation as the director of budgets for one of their larger divisions. And we went down to Dallas to to be a full-time seminary student, and I expected the fact that I would be willing to work for a quarter of what I was making here in New York, that they would be thrilled to hire me. And so I fully expected the moment we got down to Dallas that I would be hired right away and there would be no issues of financial problems. Well, what I found out was they didn't like the idea that I was in full-time seminary. One supposed Christian man said to me, you should know better than anybody. You can't serve two masters. So I, I never got hired in the field that I was in, which was a financial analyst. So eventually, I started looking around for any kind of work I can get. And I had three children. The youngest one was barely two years old. And uh, we needed health insurance. So I got a job working for UPS loading trucks because UPS paid their part-time workers benefits that included health insurance. So here I am, a 35-year-old Jewish man with an MBA in financial management, loading trucks for UPS, and I have to tell you, I did nothing but complain to God the whole time. Don't you know how much I gave up for you? Why aren't you helping me out here? 
And this, this went on for quite a while. And then eventually, on a particularly bad day, uh, where my 19-year-old supervisor was telling me I was working too slow, and I had to decide if I killed him before I witnessed to him, would that be okay? And so I just had it. And I worked in the largest UPS hub in the United States. So we had a 10-minute break, and in order to go to the break room and get back to my station, I literally had to sprint the whole time. So I ran, got myself a, a bottle of, of Coke, came back, was sitting on the edge of my truck, and I said, I can't believe you're doing this to me, God. And it's the only time this has ever happened in my life. I'm not one who hears audible voices. As clear as a bell in my head, I heard, read the book of Exodus. Now, Doug shared that uh, I did a Passover Seder a few years back. And that's what I thought was in the book of Exodus. It's about Passover. I said, what does Passover have to do with this? This is a, an ongoing conversation I'm having with God. And I started reading the book of Exodus. And if you know the book of Exodus, Moses' life is divided into threes. The first third, he's the prince of Egypt. He was the budget director of a large corporation. And he was sure that he could deliver Israel under the power that God had already given him. So he tried doing that and he was a dismal failure. So for the next 40 years, God sent him into the wilderness to load trucks for UPS, to prepare him to pastor a flock of people. And it suddenly dawned on me what God was doing, that God was preparing me for ministry that uh, I wasn't prepared to, to do yet. And so even though the circumstances were not to my liking, I finally began seeing things from God's perspective. I started seeing not God through my circumstances, but my circumstances through God. And it changed really, it dramatically changed me. I can still tell you if I knew, knew then what I know now, I probably wouldn't have gone. But God knew not to let me know that. <laughs> We're reminded time and time again not to be afraid, not to be anxious because God is with us. God is working in our lives through our various circumstances to accomplish his will for us. It goes back to what Isaiah said about perfect peace. It involves trust. Paul writes, don't worry about anything, pray about everything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. You know, we are able, without any problems, to thank God for good circumstances. Am I right? I mean, if things are to your liking, you have no problem praying with thanksgiving. But what about when there's difficult circumstances? Can you still thank God for those difficult circumstances? In the book of James, the very beginning, James was writing actually to Jewish believers. He said this, he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When we're able to trust God through the difficult circumstances and see God working in our lives, really 
maturing us the way he wants to, that's when we could have that kind of peace with God. And when that takes place, Paul says, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God becomes a watchman over your emotional state and even over your thoughts. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's my thoughts that I struggle with the most. I start projecting things. So let me ask you this question. Do you want to have that perfect peace, that double dose of shalom that Isaiah speaks about? Well, the first thing you need to do is make your peace with God. That's pretty easy. Not simple, but easy. All you have to do is acknowledge that you're not perfect. The Bible says we are all imperfect beings. We're all sinners. And when you recognize that you can't save yourself by doing good deeds, by doing good works, the only way to get saved is by accepting what Jesus did when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's when you can have peace with God. If you haven't done that yet, I would encourage you to do it right now, even where you're seated. Make your peace with God. And when you've made your peace with God, you can also have the peace of God. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything with thanksgiving. God will be a watchman. He's close by. The Lord is near, Paul writes. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter how difficult they might be, God is able to get you, to get you through. So how is it possible to have this perfect peace? It really involves keeping your mind focused on the Lord, focused on what he and he alone is able to do. Isaiah said, thou will keep him in perfect peace, he whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Then Isaiah tells us why we should trust in God. This is verse 4, 26.4. He says, trust in the Lord forever. For in God the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. Now when you think of that word rock, it means something that's heavy and steady and you can place any kind of weight on top of it and it's always there for you. I mean, think of the verse in 1 Peter that says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. God doesn't want you to carry those burdens. He wants you to give them to him to ease that loan, that load, that can be so overwhelming sometimes. When Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, he says, I will give you rest. That's what he wants to do. And so in God the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. I wanna share one last story with you uh, as we get ready to close. Julia and I moved to Florida in 1999. We've been there now 24 years. And five years after we moved down, we had a house built. Something that I never thought God would enable us to do, but we had this beautiful house built in West Palm Beach, Florida. And at the closing of the house, one of the things that they tell us is all the different things that come with the house. And one of the things that came with the house was aluminum hurricane shutters that you would actually bolt onto the house. And I said to the title company person, I said, so we have to worry about hurricanes? And he looked at me and he said, there hasn't been a hurricane in Palm Beach County in 50 years. And I looked at my wife and I said, just watch. And sure enough, that September, 
we had a hurricane come. We actually had two hit the exact same spot, right where we live. And so it was time to put up the hurricane shutters. We had a two-story house. So I had to go to Home Depot and buy an extension ladder so that I could put the shutters up on the top windows of the top floor. So I went to Home Depot, and if you know anything about Home Depot, any kind of big item, you just take the, the slip that comes with the item, and then you have to go in the back of Home Depot to, to put it in the back of your vehicle. So I found this ladder, a 30-foot extension ladder, for $97. And I thought, wow, that's not bad. So I took the card out, and I went up to the cashier, and behind me was someone from the church that I was going to, and just to give you an idea of what he was like, he drove a pickup truck. And he said, hey, Rich, what's going on? I said, well, I'm, I'm here to buy a ladder. I need to get an extension ladder. I said, I found this great price for an extension ladder, only $97. And I could see the look on his face. He thought that was a little odd. And he said, what's the ladder rated? I said, huh? He said, what's it rated? I said, what does that mean? He says, how much weight will it hold? I said, does it actually tell you that? He says, yeah, it should be on that card. And when I took the card out, I looked at it, and there's a big circle, and inside the circle was 150. And he looked at me and he said, let me guess, you weigh more than 150 pounds. <laughs> I said, well, what should I do? He says, Rich, this ladder won't hold your weight. You'll fall. So I went, I, I brought the card back, and I started looking for ladders that had my weight inside that little circle, and the cheapest one I could find was $500. So my neighbor across the street was a fireman, and I thought, well, I'll, let, I'll borrow his ladder, because he'll have a good ladder. And I ended up hiring somebody to put the shutters up anyway. But what's my point? My point is, when, when Isaiah says, in God, the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. God is rated infinity. There's nothing that he can't hold. Whatever it is you're carrying, he's able to carry it for you. And I don't know what your circumstances are. And in this day and age where there is so much turmoil in the world and so much divisiveness in our country, we need to recognize that we don't want to carry those burdens. We want to give them to him and allow him to carry it for us. So whatever it is you're carrying, I want to encourage you. God is able to carry it for you. And if you need to make your peace with him, don't wait another day before you do that. Amen? I'd like you to do me a favor now. I mean, you should have received one of these brochures. And uh, I've been coming to this church I think to, to preach probably 25 years. And when I was pastoring Dunwoody Baptist, Bruce Borio was the, the head of our association. So I used to come here for that. Uh, so I have a long connection with this church. This is really like coming home for me. And so what I'd like you to do, and some of you are already getting our prayer letter. This is a way for you to receive our prayer letter. And... Uh, We've hired a bunch of 20 and 30-something people to do our, our digital media. And inside this brochure, 
they have a way for you to do it digitally. So how many of you own a smartphone? Let me see, raise your hand. So here's what I want you to do. Take out your smartphone. Okay? And if you open the brochure, you'll see on the bottom, there's a QR code. If you take a picture of that QR code, it's going to take you to a page where you could sign up for our prayer letter, and if you want to, you could even give to our ministry as a donation. How you could take a phone, take a picture, and do that is beyond me, but that's what they tell me. So has anybody tried it? Does it work? Okay, very good. So if you'd like to do that, you can do that on your phone right now. Sign up for our prayer letter, give a donation to the ministry, or if you're old school like me, here's what I'd like you to do. Open up this brochure. Okay, come on, let me see. If you're not going to take a picture, open it up. And then at the count of three, what I'd like us to do is tear these brochures together. Think you could do that with me? Okay, count of three. We're going to tear these together. It's an ancient Jewish tradition. Here we go, count of three. One, everybody paying attention? Two, three. A little slow. So if you're old school, you could fill this out. We have a book table on the side over there. You could bring it to my wife and she'll be happy to take it from you. Uh, and at the book table, we have some really interesting books that I wanted to make mention of. Uh, we have one Moody Bible commentary, one left. So uh, if you want, you could have a fight with someone and, and wrestle them to see if you could get it, but it's a really good commentary. But this is a book uh, with, from a number of different authors, but it, it's compiled by Dr. Randall Price, who's a professor at Liberty and a really, really good guy who does a lot of archaeological work in Israel. Cole, what should we think about Israel? Uh, I'm going to be doing a conference in Florida with Dr. Michael Radelnik from Moody Bible Institute called Standing with Israel. And uh, Dr. William Washington, who's an African-American vice president at Moody Bible Institute, is going to be preaching as well. And I think it's important that we see that the church, all, from all backgrounds, need to be supportive of Israel. And uh, it's a conference that I'm looking forward to. So this is a book that I would highly recommend. What should we think about Israel? And this is a book Dr. Radelnik wrote some years ago, but it's still very helpful, called Understanding the Arab-Israeli Conflict and What the Headlines Haven't Told You. And I, I think we need to understand some of the history, and I think probably during our, our luncheon, I'll talk a little bit about the history of, of where we are and how we got there. But also, there's a couple of books that I wanted to make mention of. This is a newer book that I, I just wrote called The Lord is My Shepherd, Dayenu. And the word Dayenu is a word from Passover, which simply means that's enough. And in, in the particular song that's sung, if God only did one thing, that would be enough. So for us as believers, we need to recognize that the fact that we have a relationship with the Lord, a shepherd-sheep kind of relationship, that relationship should be enough for us. And should they be able to get us through the most difficult times? I subtitled the book, God's GPS for Finding Contentment. And I think you'll find it really helpful as you go through Psalm 23. 
to see how important it is to, to lean on the relationship that we have with the Lord. And then this, this is a book that I did some years ago uh, as part of my doctoral work called The Heart of the Apostle. It's a commentary on Romans 9, 10, and 11, which is God's clearest plan for the future of Israel as well as Paul's heart for his people. He says in Romans 9, he has unceasing grief in his heart for his brethren according to the flesh who are Israelites. There are almost 16 million Jewish people in the world and only about 3% are believers. That means 97% of the people through whom Jesus came don't believe that he's the Messiah and many of them believe he's the reason for all of their problems as a people group. So we have a lot of work to do and we certainly can use your prayers. So for those of you who were able to get to the, the QR code, please sign up for our prayer letter. We would thankfully uh, receive any, any kind of uh, prayer support that you can give us as well as any financial support if that's in your heart. And so let me just close with this. If you came here not sure where you're going to spend eternity and just came out of curiosity, maybe you, you saw the sign outside and wondered what's a double dose of shalom all about, it's quite simple. It's all about making your peace with God. And when you do, you can have the peace of God that goes way beyond our ability to understand and comprehend. So if you've never made your peace with God, I don't want you to go another moment without doing that. So as we go to the Lord in prayer, let me pray for you and encourage you to do that. Make your peace with God. And for those of you who've already accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you really want to have that peace of God, Follow what Paul says. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything because God is always with us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful. So thankful for who you are. We thank you for your great love for us. That even while we were yet sinners, Jesus, our Messiah, died for us so that we could have eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for that amazing gift. And I pray there's anyone here who has not yet done that, that you would encourage them to recognize we are all imperfect beings. We are all sinners. And only by accepting what Jesus did when he died on the cross and rose from the dead can we have eternal life. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who needs to do that, that you would be drawing them to yourself as only you can. And I pray, Lord, that uh, as we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that both Jew and Muslim would just understand the only way to have real peace in that area is through the Prince of Peace, through Jesus our Messiah. May he reign in the hearts of the people. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor. Well, the traditional prayer for dismissal is the Aaronic benediction. And I'm going to attempt to croak it. <laughs> but uh, let me pray. Ivrachacha Adonai Vayishmorecha Yair Adonai Panevelecho Vichunecha Is Adonai Panevelecha Vayasem Lecha Shalom. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance to you, grant you 
his peace. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Yeshua, Jesus, our Messiah and Lord. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the church or make an online donation, please visit us at fbcterrytown.org.